This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And we were chatting before we turned the recorder on about movies and things, and Taylor shared something that I thought was a little odd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so it goes back to the Facebook group, and I try really hard whenever there are new members that get approved by the admins to do like a welcome, uh, welcome them to the group. Um, if I miss people, I apologize. You know, sometimes I get a little overwhelmed with life and stuff, but when I do welcome people, we like haze them very cutely. Like lovingly eviscerating people? Yeah, like loving, loving, we lovingly eviscerate them. But it'll be like, you know, we demand tribute of your fur feather babies or whatever. But we had this spate of uh, I guess because we talked about it on the show or I posted on my uh, public Facebook page or something, had a bunch of people uh, request to join in a, a short period of time. So it meant doing a lot of welcome things, and it got boring doing the same thing over and over again. So I was coming up with just weird stuff. And one of those days, I was like, okay, today we're going to haze our newbies and everybody else, because everybody likes to chime in with their things, with, you know, what's your most endearing quirk? And endearing is you're up to you to define, and quirk is also up to you to define. So the, the platform is wide open. And then when I do that, I try and always put something of my own in there. You know, I'm not going to just throw people to the wolves. I'll, I'll go first. So the quirk of of one of them and of of that is what we were talking about. And and so it's going to be our little chit chat today. So my very heavy finger quotes here, endearing, (laughs) it's not endearing or quirk, is that I basically can't watch or read the kind of, like, watch movies or read books that I would write. So, like, suspense, anything suspense-like, psychological thriller-type movies, unless it's, like, um, a hardcore you just know the genre, like The Equalizer, for example. I have no problem going to watch The Equalizer without spoilers because I know what kind of movie it is. Marvel superhero movies, I can totally watch those without spoilers because I know. Um, I also sometimes will not watch a movie like the most recent one because I know the spoilers and I'm like, nope, I'm going to wait till the second one is out so I can get my happy ending together with the not so happy ending. Um, so things like that, I I can watch those without spoilers. Romance, romance is a genre that always has a happy ending. You know, romantic comedy, I can watch those because I know that it's all going to end up well in the end. But when you get the sort of in-between ones that maybe are not okay, you don't know how it's going to end, like Ex Machina, for example, or whatever, I need to have spoilers to watch those movies. Otherwise, what happens is I get so emotionally, so overwhelmed by the emotion, the suspense of of watching it, that I will literally get up and leave the room to 
not feel the feelings that I'm feeling. They're so overwhelming to me and unpleasant that I will leave until the scene that's causing that stress is over. And then I'll come back and finish watching the movie. So to, and then I might get up and leave again. I'm just like, no, 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 no. I don't want to. I can't, I can't handle this. And I will go and come back and go. So if I have spoilers, I will stay because then I know what's going to happen. And I'm not sitting there waiting for this bad thing to happen or wondering if this person is going to die or whatever. And it's just hilarious because I basically cannot participate in the, <laughs> the market of my own material. <laughs> so if you hadn't written your own books, you would go to the ending first and, and see how yeah, it ends and I then would, you'd go read the story? Yeah, I would skip ahead because <laughs> what that allows me to do is relax enough uh, and not feel it's, – it's physically discomforting. It's like being – being nauseous and anxious and oh, there's a, there's other uncomfortable physiological things that happen to people's bodies when they're under stress that maybe you could relate to. And I, it is a stress response, I think, that caused me to do it. And I know that this what I'm seeing is not real, but the mind is such that your memories will trigger emotions as if it's real your memory, your mind will uh, react to fear, but fear is fantasy, right? Fear is you're imagining something bad might happen. Your mind, your your body will physically respond to that as if it's real, even though your mind knows that it might not be real. For me, movies are quite the same. I, I logically know this. This isn't real. I logically know that person is not really going to die, but it doesn't matter. My body still responds as if as if it was real. And, and it's very unpleasant. And so I will leave. And the same thing happens for movies that are um, people get themselves in really comedies, mostly that get themselves in really stupid situations because they're lying. And you're, you know, how long will it be till they get found out and their lies get uncovered? And, you know, of course, those generally tend to have happy endings. But it's the process of getting to that ending is physically discomforting to me because of the stress involved in um, the lies and, and being found out with books. Um, I, I just have to know sort of the basics and then I can relax enough to read it. So yeah, that's, that's my quirk. One of several. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll get into the rest of them in future episodes. (laughs) No, we won't. (laughs) All right. In today's show, we're going to Take a deeper dive into character motivation. We've talked a lot in the past about character depth. And one of the things that Taylor talks about with regard to character depth is that we have to really know the character. We have to really know uh, the character's motivation. And last week when we were talking about character – or not character blocks, but we're talking about blocks – Um, You used the term motivation and and linked it with blocks, and it got me thinking about this topic. And you have said on the show multiple times that you as the author need to know way more about your character than what's going to show up on the page. Yes. And you need to know why your character is acting in the way that they're acting, although you don't need to share – a lot of that in the book. So you don't my qu- necessarily need to share it. And, and by acting, I mean like um, not just acting according to the plot or responding to the whatever is happening in that moment, but 
the deep subconscious, what's driving them, who they are as a person, causing them to react. Yeah, you have to know that to the core as the author to it, it helps with the creation of authentic consistent characters and not not knowing that leads to the creation of flat characters it can depending on the skill yes all right and an example i'll just flash back to last week when you were talking about jack being tossed into some murky water and his mother's reaction when he came out and that was i think a flashback scene or something but you as the author knew that this was his background and then you chose to share this story as a way of explaining character motivation or why he was the way he is. So I guess where I want to go with this is when do we share this? How much is too much? Um, What's the point of having all this information and not sharing it all? I think I know what the answer to that is, but but let's just kind of dive into it. Okay. So we'll go with the easy one, which is the answer that you already know. Um, the point of not sharing it, knowing it and not sharing it, is you're keeping your character consistent so that the character isn't um, driven by the plot, but the character is driving the plot. You know, plot and character work hand in hand. Um you have to have a character that fits the plot and a plot that works for that particular character. And if you throw a character into a plot that doesn't fit and you don't have that character figured out, then the plot will drive the character. And that means the character makes stupid choices that readers go, oh, she would never do that because X, Y, Z. It also leaves the reader confused about who this character really is. And, oh, they just don't get there. I mean, you can have a really well-defined character and readers not get the character simply because they can't relate to the character. But you don't want to have a character that is confusing because they're inconsistent, really smart one day and really dumb the next, or really driven to do something for a reason that vanishes, the motivation changes, or her actions don't uh, support that reason after two or three chapters have passed, things like that. Um, When you really know your character, it keeps the character consistent, and that creates uh, a consistent story. It keeps the plot consistent, too. I already forgot your other questions, though. (laughs) Well, I I was just going to say that that also creates a character that readers connect with and want to learn more about. I, or hate, but at least they are not confused by. Right, right. I'm, I'm reading some books now for a reason that I won't explain, but they're, they're mildly entertaining and I'm enjoying them. But other than the main character, all of the other characters are just completely flat. And as you were talking, it occurred to me that I don't know how these characters should react in various situations. They just react in whatever way the plot calls for them to re- to react in. Right. And so we're not when we talk about characters in that sense, we're not just talking about the main character. There's characters like maybe they're walk on parts like the main character goes to a garage and talks to a few mechanics and the character might have observations about the people, whether they are trustworthy, whether he can rely on the information, all that kind of stuff. But they're, they're walk on parts, those, those mechanics, for example. And so you don't have to know everything about them, 
But if they're key to the plot in terms of they show up again or they lied or whatever, then, yeah, you need to know why they would lie, um, not just as it pertains to the plot. And, and how much you know about the characters themselves depends a lot on how integral they are to the story, how high up the hierarchy of supporting cast they are. The lower down the hierarchy, the less they matter and the less it matters if you actually know them. And the closer they are to the key points that are happening in the story, to the main character or whatever, the more you need to know because every character brings their own history to a story, their own motivations. And to get that that depth, that interaction, you've got to know why they're doing what they're doing. And also, if you're fleshing out the character as you go, by knowing the character, that's when the insights will come to you. The little ticks, the, the, their way that they speak, uh, the evasiveness, the um, confrontation, the way if, if they're confronting the main character or being sort of a, a frenemy, all of those things sort of come out in the writing. And if you know your characters, even the, the supporting cast, it gives you just more to work with, I guess. And you don't need to, like, info dump their whole story, but you might give some background to sort of deepen it up. Like, as I'm starting to see reviews, early reviews come in on the um, Liar's Paradox, one of the complaints that I'm seeing is it moves so fast, there's no uh, chance to really get to know the characters, what have you. Now... I could get defensive and go, well, that's the whole story is getting to know the characters and the the whole story could be considered info dump. You know, it's, it's got that kind of depth. But what that reader is saying is they're used to reading stories that take more time to tell you in a specific block. So-and-so was so, so many years old and, you know, he went to this school and that's where the main character met them. And it, th there are books that work in that direction that give you all the information about that character up front. And so you as the reader know going in, here's their history, here's their sort of backstory. I, I don't do that. I bleed it through the story just throughout. That's my style of writing. My It's very sparse prose. Every word matters. If I tried to tell these stories the way other authors tell theirs, we'd have a 150,000-word book. So I just have a different way of doing it. And for those readers, it doesn't work. And that's okay. They, they want a different kind of story. So when we talk about not dumping the whole character history into the story and how much to put in, that's really a matter of what is your style? What is your way of doing it? If you're building some big family multi-generational epic, well, yeah, maybe you should dump it all in there, you know, just find a way to do it judiciously as that it doesn't become overwhelming and, and whatnot. Well, let's let's go back to the example, and I'm not I'm not going to give the name of the series, but it's a it's a mystery series, it's a lighthearted mystery series, and there are maybe eight recurring characters that play varying size roles in in the different books, but they should be recognizable. And the primary female character is recognizable. The two primary male characters are are totally recognizable, and they seem fully fleshed out to me. And there are 
these other characters that are private investigators in the firm where the main character works, and they are supporting characters, but they're in one or more of them is in 75% of the scenes, but I can't, I'm, I'm in the fourth book now, and I can't tell one from the other. Hmm. And the only, the only way I can tell them apart is when she first introduces them. She has a, a, a way of, you know, this character has this color skin, uh, this character has a child, and this character's good with guns. And that's, that's all I know about them. And it's, it's otherwise they're completely interchangeable. Their responses to things are completely interchangeable. And it, it really, for me, drags down the enjoyment of the series because I'm tr- I can't figure out who they are and why they're, I don't know, I guess why I don't know who they are. And I've read four books. Okay, so as you're explaining this to me, I had an image come to mind. I recently, for the first time, watched the movie Stargate, which is old movie, but I'd never had a chance to see it. And I was like, okay, I like sci-fi movies, so let's give this a try. And it's, there, there are, um, I'm sure everybody who's listening, well, maybe not everybody who's listening has heard this, but there's, there's a, an old God, like, you know, Ra, the sun God, long, I'm not going to get into the story, but he's, this God has, um, uh, soldiers that, accompany him or you know he sends them out to do whatever the soldiers are completely interchangeable they 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 have very few speaking parts they are basically just shooting or pushing or doing things that minions do there's not much at all to differentiate one from the other except color of skin height weight whatever and that's their props basically. They're not characters, they're moving props. And when what you just described reading in this series is the author essentially has created moving props that go and do the bidding of the story, but aren't actually, don't actually have a mind of their own or a personality of their own. Now, it could be that they do, and you're just not picking it up. I mean, that happens too yeah, sometimes. That's but I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, you're a smart reader, so if you, I, I really trust that if, if it's the way that you say it is, it, it is. But, you know, we always give the benefit of the doubt to the writer that, you know, maybe other readers get it. You know, I see reviews for books that I think, oh, my God, how? And people are like, this is the best thing since sliced bread, such great character development. And I'm like, are you crazy? What's wrong with you people? So, you know, is it, it's just different. Everybody's got their own thing. But what you want to avoid as, as the author is creating those moving prop pieces. And so check yourself and ask yourself, you know, does this character actually, uh, is it more than just a moving prop? So I guess is what I'm getting with, with that analogy. And I, I'm, I'm flashing back now. You had asked earlier, like about character motivation, about when to introduce that into the story, right? Wasn't that one of the main questions that you had? It's a combination of when and, and how much. So in, in the case of these four characters, there's not enough detail there for me to remember them. Um, so it's 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 something that maybe syncs up in other readers' minds, but it, it hasn't synced up in my mind for those characters. Um, so I, I guess that that ties back to the the question that you just remembered, uh, the whole idea of when do we 
obviously with these with these characters, it's when they're introduced is the time to give something, something that will will make them memorable, or when they're on the scene fairly early, I would assume. Um, but then, how often do you get into character motivation? Because, as I said, with with these, other than the the three or, or the one identifying feature for each of them. There's nothing in my mind that that does anything. Okay, so um, we actually have to divide that into two um, because it would be different from a point of view for a point of view character versus a supporting character that just is sort of there, right? And so let's let's address the supporting character first, and then let's move over to the point of view character. With a supporting character it's a little trickier to introduce motivation and that type of stuff because you never actually see it through their eyes. So it has to be told to the reader. And the only way that it can be told to the reader is through the point of view of the point of view character. So in this case, having not read those books, let's say the primary female character that you mentioned, the way that we would introduce those supporting cast characters in a way that allows us to feel that they're real, allows us to uh, differentiate them one for another, would be the response of the main character to things that those supporting characters do or say. Now, when somebody is writing a, a surface story, and by surface I mean it's written very quickly and maybe they don't have a lot of experience with craft, then what you see in the dialogue and in the interaction is entirely plot-based. So character one will come in and say something to the main character, and it has to do with what's going on, like the mystery at hand or an investigation or something. And the main character will respond directly to that thing, and the plot continues on. It's all plot-based. What you see with someone who's got a little more experience or maybe more time on their hands to, to build that reality is the main character will come in, the, say something, the main character will reflect on something about that character and what they've said, whether they appreciate that person's opinion and point of view because X, Y, Z, whether they're, what they're saying is suspect because X, Y, Z, maybe they notice that the character's dressed a little nicer today and it makes them wonder, huh, what's going on there? Is there some, like, they have a side, uh, they have a date tonight and, you know, they, she's been single for X many years. This would be great if all of a sudden she had something to take her mind off these other problems and get her out of my hair or whatever, you know. So that the the way that real people process in human interaction is very multifaceted. Yes, we're processing the information at hand, but there's so much subtext going on in body language and, and our thoughts about that person. And we're constantly analyzing, our subconscious is analyzing and our mind is analyzing on two different levels. And it's what makes human interfacing what it is. If, you know, you've got in real life, you know, two firefighters who are working in a station and they're just hanging out, you know, waiting for that bell to ring. Well, there's going to be interpersonal in relations right before that fire bell goes off. So whatever happened before the bell didn't just disappear when the fire is over. 
But for people who write entirely plot-based in the sense that all the interaction is driving the plot forward, what happened before and what happened after don't exist. So that's how you can take a, a non-point-of-view character and bring that motivation or that depth whatever to life. And you do want to do that as soon as they're introduced. It doesn't have to be in one lump sum, but you start the process from the very beginning. So by the time the story is over, the reader has a really strong sense of who that character is. And they're not confused one between another because the responses and the actions and the, the main character's thoughts on the two are completely separate. All right, let's go Let's go to the, uh, the two firefighters, because that's a really okay. good example. So two guys, 30 years old, one, and, and, and getting back to the original, uh, the original question of, of character motivation and knowing your characters, um, let's say one of them is 30 years old and single and just wants to be done to go to the bar, uh, or he's, he's going he's gonna to meet, meet some friends or whatever. He, he's got... Uh, his life is all about fun and himself, and he's just a young guy, and he's, he, he loves his job, and he loves his life, and he loves his truck, and he loves his dog. And you've got another guy who's got uh, two kids, a wife, a mortgage, uh, responsibility coming out the rear end, and they're both sitting there talking. Maybe you can get a little bit out, a little bit out of there, but as you're writing the story, it occurs to me now, and I'm just kind of flashing back on what you have told me uh, in, in past episodes and when we've just been talking offline, that by knowing the motivation, the way they react to the given situation after the bell rings might have something to do with their situation. It could. It, it, what the reader sees is going to depend on, entirely on if either of them are the point of view character, um, if one of them is, uh, what kind of story it is, what point that scene was attempting to get across. So it's so varied. It's why you can't just say, do it this way, Mm -hmm. because it's so situational. But yes, um, absolutely, in real life, those two characters will have a completely different response to everything. But also, one of them, both of them could be the characters that the minute that bell goes off, the world ceases to exist, and their entire focus is the job. Right. But that's, that's character, too. So that's why you need to know your characters, is how are they responding to this crisis? How are they responding to a non-crisis? How are they responding when uh, they're provoked by somebody who's just trying to get under their skin? That type of stuff, right? That's what understanding your character is all about. But then there's also character motivation in the sense of maybe the character has their own underlying um, reasons outside the story for doing what they do. So let's go to the example now of point of view character, right? And in this case, it's uh, easy for me. Okay, I've got, you know, I'm working on the second Jack and Jill story as we record this. So this is all really fresh in my mind in terms of my own characters. You know, when you have a single a single character, like let's let's say Monroe. We kind of know who she is at her core. You don't try and push her around. You don't hurt her friends. But she's morally ambiguous when it comes to things like, yeah, you're, you know, drug trafficking. What do I care if you're not hurting anybody? Which I know somebody often does get hurt. We're just not even going to go there. Okay, so if, if it doesn't concern her, 
she doesn't care because it's not her problem. She's not a hero who's out to save the world. She wants to be left alone, right? That's going to guide how she responds to life in general. And then there's the specific motivation of if she gets thrown into a particular plot, her motivation is survive, protect the one she loves, hurt the people who hurt her. It's pretty simple in, in that in that sense. But when the sub stories start getting going, her motivations get a little more bendy. Uh, her core stays the same, but what she actually wants out of that person and why she's doing what she does might get a little foggy until the end clears up and you're like, ah, that's what she was after. So the question of how and how much and when is, again, situational. So right now, I'm in this story that has multiple key characters, and I, as the author, know more or less why they're doing what they're doing. Sometimes the characters don't even fully understand. And I'll give the example of Jill. She is one of the twins. And she is, for the most part, nuts. I mean, not in a clinical sense, but maybe getting close to a clinical sense because of things. The, the Anyway, things. Read the stories. You'll get it. So... She is often quite unpredictable in terms of how she reacts to stuff. But that unpredictability is manipulative in the sense that the person who has the least to lose is the one who always wins in life. If you have something to lose and I don't, I can burn the world down and destroy you and not give a crap. And you're trying to protect the people that you love. So in the case of Jill, she doesn't have anything to lose. And she will burn herself in the flames of destruction if it means not letting somebody else get her way, get their way. And that's what makes her incredibly unpredictable. But it doesn't always mean that her motives for why she's doing things are clear. So I have to be very clear and understand her motives. And with her, it's very complicated because she loves her brother and she hates her brother. And so she's conflicted. And when you have a character like that, it's really important that you as the author really understand where they're coming from because the reader is going to be like, what the is going on, you know? And so by keeping by by me understanding her, it allows me to keep her unpredictability within certain boundaries that don't just blow the story into just psychotic land. But as far as when to reveal those motivations, because she is an unpredictable character, I often don't want readers to know what she's really after when she's doing what she's doing because it keeps the story off balance and it keeps you going, okay, wait, why? And you want to find out and it gets resolved by the end, but there's reasons for holding back her motivation in terms of what I'm showing to the reader. And that's deliberate. It doesn't mean I don't know. It means the reader's left wondering what's actually going on here. What is she really up to? And so as far as how much and when, 
is again situational. There are reasons to make the motivation explicitly clear from the very beginning of the story, as many Monroe stories are, and there are reasons to hold back and hide the motivations of a character. In in many cases, that's something that's given to the villain, where the main character is trying to figure out what the villain wants so that they can solve the crime or the mystery or get one step ahead of them or whatever. But you can do the same thing for your main characters as long as you yourself know what's really going on. All right. That was uh, terrific and uh, a great job of breaking it down into primary point of view characters and secondary characters as well. So I, I think we have covered it and... That, I think, is it for this week's show, unless there's anything else you have you want to share. No, but I would just say that if we haven't covered it, you guys know where to come with more questions and ask us to follow up on anything. We'll take it into another show if something that I've explained doesn't quite work for your specific situation. So you'd like more specific clarity to the problem that you're facing in that area then send the questions in and we can cover it more because there's a chance somebody else out there, not just you, is going through this. And when I do these explanations, they're vague because I don't, I'm, I'm working with my own experiences, sometimes Steve's experiences, and it's, it may not be help, as helpful to you as it could be, but if you give me your specific problem, then I can answer it specifically to how I would do it or recommend doing it for your genre, your style, your voice, and, and what have you. So don't be shy. All right. And if you're new to the show and you, you're not sure how to contact Taylor, uh, go to taylorstevenshow.com, and there's a listing of all the various ways to, con- to connect with us. So yep. do that. So thanks again for listening. We will be back in your ears next Tuesday. See you guys next week. <laughs>